Welcome to Full Time with Meg Linehan, Journey to the Cup edition. I'm Meg Linehan, and this is a special episode brought to you by Google Chrome. Google Chrome lets you save all of your passwords securely and use them on your computer and on your phone, so you spend less time trying to remember your password and more time getting things done. All your passwords remembered like magic. There's no place like Chrome. All right, so today I'm here with Steph Young, who is a fellow writer here at, in the U.S. with The Athletic, and, and Charlotte Harper, who is going to really carry us here today from our U.K. office, who has been following the story around France, really, from day one. And what is happening in France is really one of the most, like, the biggest stories in women's football, especially ahead of the World Cup, with just kind of massive implications on their approach. I mean, we're going to be talking about coaching changes four months out from a major tournament. So there's a lot to dig into here. So let's just just, just start with Charlotte, if you can kind of set the stage for us, because it feels like this has been brewing for a really long time. We're, we're at the crunch point right now. But, you know, when was the former head coach of the, the France women's national team, Corinne Diak, uh hired? Uh, what have there been previous situations with her? Does she have, does she have the trust of the federation of the players? I mean, there's there's so much. So like, if you can kind of give us a little bit of a history here that we can work from, just to start with. So, um, Corinne Diacre was hired in late 2017 by the French uh, federation president uh, Noel Legret, and she was the first woman to manage a men's professional team uh, at Clermont from 2014 to 2017. So that in itself um, was quite a big move considering that was nine years ago to manage a men's team. And it was at the time it was seen as the French Federation being really innovative to have so many women um, among the board and on the um, leading the women's team as well. But throughout her tenure, she has always split opinion. Uh, one source close to the camp said, you know, some like her, but some really hate her. And it has been a very tricky um, period for Diacra throughout her six years, to say the least. But by the end of it, it was described to me as a really toxic climate. Charlotte, I mean, it's... You mentioned, you know, it's been six years of, of incidents and things. And then when you look at her history, it's like a who's who of some of the best French footballers either speaking out against her or her going after them as well. I mean, seems like there's a history here of her just like alienating people that the program can't afford to lose. Yeah. Where do we start? Um, I, I the Communication was a key issue among Diacra, and it went back to, say, February 2020, so three years ago, France midfielder Guy Tentini um, suggesting that, you know, the women's team should look to the men's team, look what Didier Deschamps is doing. And imagine if that were to happen to any other country, if you say, hey, look at that guy, do you think you should take some tips from him? And she said we must draw inspiration from his communication and management. What is certain that he protects his players. He loves them. Corin Diacre or others must be inspired by that. So alarm bells were ringing as far back as three years ago. And another source close to the team said to me, you know, 
In any other situation, Diakwa would have gone. If she were in the US, she wouldn't have lasted this long. Uh, then came goalkeeper uh, Sarah Buhadi. She stepped back from the team after the 2019 World Cup and initially said, okay, it's a, a sporting failure. But a year later, she came back and said, winning a title with this coach seems impossible. And what really stuck out to me, what really stood out to me was, she said, I could put my two hands on it that the French team will not win the 2022 Euros if Diacre remains in charge. That was two years prior to the Euros. Like Bahadi was looking into a crystal ball and she was right. But she said back then it was a very, very negative climate. So given this long history, right, then what changes? Because obviously Wendy Renard comes forward and then Diani and Katoto afterwards, are they're all like, we cannot play under this coach anymore going into a World Cup year. But the Euros are just as important, a ter- well, maybe not just as, but they're certainly a, a banner tournament that has a lot of meaning and a lot of, you know, should have a lot of implication. And like you said, any other team... <laughs> We've seen it in the United States, where if the players kick up enough of a fuss, the Federation realizes, like, what are we going to do? Fire the players that we need in order to win, as opposed to one coach? So I'm just wondering what you think changed now that gave them, that moved, you know, essentially that fulcrum point to change the balance of power, so to speak. When Wendy Renard's statement came out, and, and that was the trigger of her saying, I'm stepping back. I won't play in the World Cup in such conditions. The level that we're at is not at the level we should be. You know, that was the breaking point. And for those who spoke to The Athletic, they said it came as a a shock, her statement. But these issues have been long running. And it wasn't because it was just after the Tournoi de France in the February international camp. And it wasn't like a huge bust up then during the international camp or uh, matches, Wendy Renard, I think the penny dropped that she realized they were going to go to the World Cup in the same state that they would have gone in the 2019 World Cup and the 2022 Euros. And she's such an experienced player with goodness how many titles and records. And she realized that that they weren't going to win. They weren't going to achieve. They were just going to be average if things were to continue the way they are. And, you know, any player wants to go to a World Cup with the tools, the best possible chance that they can have. We know how fine margins these are. And she realized that from a footballing perspective, they had no chance. France was slipping way down the list in comparison to England, Germany, Sweden, the U.S., well, I'm just wondering, so is it just the weight of the res- respect for Renard's word or were there other external factors? Because as we've seen, Football France, the Federation has backed Diakre before and they put out, you know, some statements initially that seemed pretty resistant to change. Like, they would like we would like to point out that no individual is above the institution of the French team. And, you know, things kind of change. Like, it's not just Diakre who's who's out now. So I'm just exactly. wondering. Yeah. yeah, so Diacre is definitely the first step and the domino. But who hired Corinne Diacre? It was the French president, Noah Legret. And Wendy Renard's statement came out on a Friday. 
on Tuesday, Legrette announced his resignation. And that was pretty much always going to happen. And that executive committee meeting was always in the diary because it was over claims of sexual harassment and bullying. And the French sports minister had found these claims were to be true and the report was released. So mm-hmm. Renard put her sta- puts her statement out. Legrette, who was a long-term supporter of Diacre, resigns. And so Diacre's main reason to be there, the person who hired her, is no longer there. So she was left in a very, very vulnerable position, as well as all the previous history that they had. And it's Legrette was aware of this a couple of years ago. Um, he had a meeting with the players and they raised their concerns with Legrette about Diacre. But considering they were very close, Diacre maintained her position. Do you think that the timing of all this, you know, obviously it's very serious allegations against Legrette, but it, like, they're not unknown, right? It's been a long time coming and people have kind of known that he's not look great for a while. Sorry to do that to you. But, um, you know, like you said, with the French sport minister getting involved, do you think Wendy Renard and the other players kind of could see that the tide was turning and that they'd get more institutional support if they spoke up now? Or is it a coincidence? Is this like a perfect storm of too many things for people to ignore? Like, I'm, I'm just wondering, I'm wanting to get a better sense of like how the balance tipped now, as opposed to, like you said, two, three years ago, when all these issues still existed? I don't think we'll ever truly know. It seems that that the stars have aligned very conveniently. From what I've told, or from what I've been told, Wendy Renard didn't know the impact of that social media status that went on Instagram and Twitter and kind of blew up. What is key is that as soon as Renard put her statement out, it was interesting to see who supported her. And Marie Antoinette Cototo and Kadia Tu Diani supported Renard in their statement and said, yep, we're boycotting as well. From what I've been told as well, it wasn't a dressing room organization of, you know, you see the US coming together and they tried to do it kind of behind, not straight out in the media, but combined effort as a team. This wasn't a team effort. This wasn't a planned uh, rupture from Renard, Katoto and Diani. It was very much Renard put her statement out and Katoto and and Diani saw the opportunity. Hmm. So I do want to talk a little bit about Diakla and the specific things that the team was saying, both about her and about how maybe her behavior, as you've pointed out, is perhaps a symptom of a larger attitude in the Federation. As you say, who was she hired by? Noel Legrette, who has his own issues. And so it's something we've seen in the U.S. where there's an institutional ladder that you can follow up where behind a terrible coach or an abusive coach, there's maybe a systematic you know, shield that put that person in place in, in the first place and then kind of protects them over the years as they do increasingly terrible stuff. So just wanted your take on, you know, the players, what they were actually asking for besides just, we want Diaka out. Um, and, you know, if you think that there's 
a larger systemic problem. And I suspect I we have some very complementary thoughts here about whether the answer is yes or no. What was interesting is that Renard was very specific in saying it's a sporting issue. It's not a personal attack on Diacre. So what came about from people speaking to The Athletic is that there was a lack of transparency regarding planning for the team, decision-making, team selection, tactics, overall management. Um, Diani said that the... Uh, her two assistants, Diacra's assistants, double up as the goalkeeping and fitness coach. So there's a lack of technical staff. They then, uh, it came about, or it came out that, you know, training sessions lacked intensity in terms of comparison to club environments. You have to remember that uh, Renard is at Lyon, probably the most professional in the world and, and definitely in France. And there's a lack of tactical emphasis Sources said that, you know, video sessions before and after the game didn't always occur. And if they did, it was it was minimal. Uh, they didn't get to practice set pieces or shooting after training because they had to catch the bus, for example. And even on, on the pitch, um, it was said that there wasn't a clear plan. Players' roles weren't defined. There was a lot of rotation within the squad and a lack of consistency of who gets called up and why, and who is dropped, and why. And and even Kras um said in their friendly against Norway that we have to find our own ad- identity. And you're thinking, you've had this coach for six years. <laughs> well, why are you struggling to find your identity? Which just says everything that it was, they felt lost. I, I do think like one of the things that was fascinating to watch from the outside is that there was so much emphasis on the sporting element, right? And the investment and all of these pieces that we've seen. It's not just a, a France problem, right? But then there was this confrontational element too, not just from the Federation, but from Diacre herself in terms of of trying to kind of mount a defense about what her aims were and what her relationship with the team is. And, you know, we've seen this... Maybe not on a coaching side, but like this is not necessarily a new situation where you've got kind of a a two-sided argument of things are bad. No, they're not, right? Like they're better than you think they are, so it's fine. And, you know, I think that there was a very delicate approach from the players in terms of trying to focus on the sporting element. But did you see that kind of bleeding through in, in any way in terms of you know, there is kind of ultimately, I guess, a few things at fault here, but there is a, a root cause. Yeah, it's interesting that those players who have spoken out against Diacre weren't then picked. You know, some decided to step back, but someone like Eugenie Lossomer or Amandine Henri, there was no, <laughs> there was a point of no return. Right. So there was certainly a fear element there. And in a very uncomfortable environment, I've been told that, you know, players would cry on international camp. They wouldn't want to go to be selected. They couldn't sleep. So it's. I mean, you think about what what Wendy said in her statement, right, of I don't want to suffer anymore, that there was a real mental health element to this as well, right? 
Yeah, and there's an interview with uh, Paris Match and Wendy Renard where she says, without a doubt, this has taken a toll on me mentally and physically. Like, if, if you put 100% in in terms of everything from on and off the pitch, of course it's going to be a weight on your shoulder. It's like a millstone around your neck. Right. I'm I'm just so interested, though, because you know, as a dumb American, the perception of the French is that um, labor resistance is something that they are particularly good at and have a long history with just as part of their like national psyche, which we are kind of seeing now writ large in, in France with the protests and stuff uh, against, you know, labor issues, raising the retirement age, that sort of thing. But obviously in the microcosm of a national football team, um, in a federation where the person who hired the Akalikled is also himself kind of behaving in scummy ways and you maybe feel disempowered. I'm just wondering what your perception is there. Obviously, you've given us a lot of details about the players, you know, kind of a little window into how they might have felt. But I'm just wondering, you know, how basically kind of like contrasting to like in the United States that as you said, the players did come together and like kind of make this a, a locker room thing. Whereas in France, it felt a little bit disjointed. It felt like individually the players who perhaps had the most institutional power due to the you know respect for their names were the only ones who felt they were able to say something. I'm just, this is probably purely speculation, but just your sense of like, why it had to go that way instead of maybe them getting together like what did Diakra play divide and conquer as we see so often in these situations where like you have favorites you keep people off balance so they're like oh I don't know like what maybe we can't organize maybe we should you know that sort of thing I'm just wondering what your sense of it is there I think they really felt they didn't have any other option six years is a long time and it took their captain who is extremely well respected and really only speaks when necessary. Like Wendy Renard is not about empty words. If she doesn't have anything to say, she won't say it. And it just reached really a breaking point. And she had to say, look, enough's enough. I can't, I can't take this anymore. And so for her to say that, people were like, whoa, this has to be bad if you're going well, to s sacrifice the World Cup, like her yeah, last World Cup. For her to say, I'm not going to play in a World Cup. I mean, I think, you know, we're going to talk about other teams that are going through this, but no player does not want to play in a World Cup. Like that to me is the ultimate card that you can play. Yeah, I'm just interested in the dynamic there where – what was going on in the locker room that kept them feeling so isolated from each other, right? Especially as we see, and we'll talk about it later, as Meg said, you know, increasing like collective labor movements. For example, you know, we've got FIFPRO um, becoming more and more and more vocal, especially about the, the women's game. And I absolutely want to make sure clear, like, I'm not blaming the players. Like, why didn't you guys organize? There's so many factors going on here. It's just interesting for me as an American to, to look at this and be like, you know, what was going on here that kept them so, you know, scattered. And again, I want to point to like, like you said, it's been six years of Diakra 
doing weird mind stuff to them, impacting their mental health. So there's a lot going on here and obviously a lot that we didn't get to see. It's, um, yeah, it's just interesting seeing the different paths that the different teams take, obviously their own situation with their own, you know, nightmares personally. What's that quote? Like every happy family is the same. Every unhappy family is unhappy in their own way. Um, but you know, worse here. (laughs) Sorry. It's, it's a really good question. And, you know, I think also with such heavy rotation, you don't want to upset the apple cart. It's not like you've had a real kind of fixed squad for that because so many players have been coming in and out. So if you're a young player, Diacre was said to be really nice to you and very welcoming and give you time. You know, I've just been called up to the front squad. Hmm. You know, am I really going to raise my head above the parapet? to risk missing the World Cup. Whereas with the more experienced players, she was said to be really harsh on them. And you you didn't have like a Lussemer or Henri uh, with uh, Renard supporting her. And you have previously, you've had different splits as well between the PSG team and the Lyon team. So although you may seem collective on the pitch, off the pitch, there doesn't seem to be so much unity to band together among the French team to take a stand. But with the new coach coming in, that could change. We'll be right back after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk about the new coach. Um, if <laughs> Obviously, first I want to start with, does hiring a new head coach actually resolve this? as an issue because it seems like we've got a bullet like a, you know like a band-aid on a bullet situation of there's a lot happening from in terms of what players are saying are problems and a single hire doesn't necessarily seem like it's going to address everything yeah it's uh, we have like a, a new coach bounce in the uk i don't yeah. know if you have that um where wave of magic wand and everything seems to go away i think you know on the one hand Fresh start. So Hervé Renard is set to become the French coach. Uh, the Saudi Arabian Federation confirmed uh, UK time Wednesday, um, or Wednesday midnight, that they had reached an agreement with um, uh, Renard so to let him go. And so he's set to be named as the new French head coach. Saudi Arabia men's team, uh, obviously, uh, they beat Argentina in the World Cup. He got them there in the first place, which is a pretty big achievement. And he said to, regarding players coming back, everyone has a clean slate. So start from zero. Renard is very open to selection. Um, So that's positive. If If someone's coming in saying, hey, turn over a new leaf, we're going to go from fresh here. I mean, I think he should be able to say I want X, Y, and Z as my coaching staff in terms of numbers. Um, 
it's believed to be Eric Blahik is coming in as his number two, who he hasn't worked with before. Uh, he was Diacra's previous assistant, but left um, over issues there as well. So hopefully he knows the demands and he's seen the men's uh, set up and what it's like. But I do think you have to be careful. You can't just magically put in a new coach with a new system and a new way of thinking and new demands. It takes time. It takes time to adjust. So what are we, three months away from the World Cup? Three and a half. Four, yeah, three and a half. Three and a half. It's a I, really tight turnaround. They really have tight. One international break. That's it. Yep. So it's a lot to take on. But I think the majority of the French squad will be we're in a better position with this new coach than with Diacre. Real quick, like do you think that there's an issue with the fact that he has not coached in women's football, period? Like, you know, I think he he has a great moment that you if you Google him, the first thing you're going to find is that big speech he gave in the middle of that Saudi Arabia-Argentina game, getting the players kind of back in the game and, you know, inspiring them to the win. But, you know, I think we have seen historically that women's football is its own strange and beautiful thing that uh, requires some some knowledge before you you dump yourself into the deep end. Hervé Renard, the new coach, has a lot of learning to do. And, yeah, it's a completely different environment. Women's football is very much built on trust um, and security and and building that relationship, and it takes time. What I've been told is that he will have a team around him uh, that has been part of the French setup that will educate him. But it's no easy feat, like... uh, can you go the dressing room policies and the way you speak to people and different language you use and communication and body language? It will take a lot of time. And that's one thing the French team do not have. I'm interested in like the emotional component of it, because this reminds me of back when Pia Suntaga took over the women's national team. And she was brought in not just to kind of refresh things on the field, but because I think there was a real perception that she could be a peacemaker. And there's that very famous or infamous story of where she like came to the locker room and played her guitar and played, what was it, like Bridge Over Troubled Water? Or, or like, like times are changing, I think. Yeah, some yeah. like Paul Simon healing <laughs> hippie, like very Pia Suntaga kind of thing. I don't think Elve Renard's going to do that. <laughs> if he <laughs> like does, that in, would be like one of the stories of the year. Right, walking he's, in he's with a, the accordion, like singing La Marseillaise or something. I don't know if there's like a French song about reconciliation. La Marseillaise is not about reconciliation. To <laughs> 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 be fair, that might be the mood that they need they well, might. i mean it might be like heads rolling in the streets like all right sure if that's the energy you need to win i'm all for it but you know the I, I don't have any sense of the man as someone who can come in it's like you said how many international windows do they have like if you only have a couple camps that are like a few weeks at a time how can you possibly build the trust that you need and it's not just you're coming in on a neutral environment. You're coming in into an environment where they're already starting like below the neutral level where they, they need to be brought back up to like a level where they can trust again, maybe even. That's my my guess. And so like I'm just curious if he's gonna have A, the emotional intelligence. And we've seen a lot of times 
coming into these situations regardless, you also have to have the humility to like admit that you're coming into a strange situation. You don't have the information and you can't impose your ideas. You have to actually, I don't know, almost um, not take up space in these situations. Although I don't know, sometimes athletes respond really well to just like being told what to do. And they're like, oh, thank God I can turn off my brain. Like all I want to do is kickball and that's it. You know, so I'm just like your thoughts on basically his ability to do that. Although, yeah, we are running on very little information. It's a really tricky balance to strike. Like you've got to show your authority. You're coming into a new environment. So you want to be the manager, the leader, set your boundaries, be really clear on your expectations, demands non-negotiables, lay the law down a bit, but also have that empathy and understanding and to get to know your players as well. Like different players respond to different needs. What works for one player will be completely different to another player. You know, some players love information. Others are like, leave me alone. Cognition overload, too much. And, and that's just working in any environment. That's not just football. <laughs> and then you lump the football on top and a high-pressured environment and everyone else's um, what they want and their backstory. And are you just going to say, you know, Le Sommaire, come on in, even though you haven't played? So it's a mountain to climb. <laughs> I mean, he certainly has his reputation as, you know, having been part of the national team on the men's side and, and now serving as a coach for a while. I just wish I had a better sense of him, like his reputation for being that coach who maybe can say like, all right, you've been through a hard time. I want to hear about it. And like, I, I want to like empathize with you to get the best performance out of you or maybe being the guy who's like, like that's in the past now. We focus on tactics. Like we're going to win, you know, that where is he landing in that? And I, you know. One thing we know about Hervé Renard is that he's taken on teams like Morocco and Saudi Arabia and asked to produce a performance. But they've always kind of been the underdog and the challenger. Like Saudi Arabia, we're never going to win the World Cup, let alone get out the group stage. So it was a kind of like, oh, we've got nothing to lose. So on one on the one hand, you could say that with France. They have nothing to lose in terms of the outsiders, all that's going on. They're really targeting the 2024 Olympic Games. He's a Frenchman. Paris, winning their home Olympics. You know, that's key. What a moment that would be. On the other hand, France are ridiculously talented. Like, bursting with talent. So if things do click and he finds a system that works and he keeps it simple, and the players know exactly what they're supposed to deliver, then who knows that there's such an unknown quantity going into this World Cup. I do Go think you're right, terrified though. of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you're right, though, in that the pressure has somehow actually been lifted in this moment just because of all of these changes where they can go into this tournament and be like, yeah, everybody's looking at the U.S., everybody's looking at England. Right. And once you get into the knockout stages and, and historically that has been their downfall. But like if you maybe take 
some of that like historical pressure away and you have a new head coach and everybody, you know, rallies around each other. Like there is like any, anything can happen in these tournaments. And I mean, we've seen that. So (laughs) it will be interesting. Mm. I do want to, I want to shift us to maybe taking a little bit of a step back. Right. Because France is not the only team going through this. It seems like France is now like, maybe through the worst of it question mark i mean there's there's still time but they're through kind of the the stuff that's going to impact the team the most but we've still got canada steph and i have been working on that front for a while canada still is kind of a question mark in terms of like where they're at in their fight against their federation spain has been a story i mean these are it's this is kind of the short list in terms of teams that have maybe gotten the most attention Jamaica has, I think had some, a lot of, a lot of stories written about their benefactors, but maybe not about the systemic stuff that is um, forcing them to turn to a single person to bankroll them. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there is this sense of these are not unique problems, right? Like everybody's situation is unique, but the actual underlying problem is kind of the same stuff. Maybe you can, you can take us through a quick run of, where Canada and France have some similarities, even though, again, the specifics are kind of Mm -hmm. all over the place. So with Canada, I think we all kind of got surprised by the Players Association, the Canadian National Players Association, sending out this email before she believes, being like, hey, you guys want to jump on a call? We have some stuff we want to (laughs) say. And (laughs) the stuff that they wanted to say was real bad. Right. Talking about how the Federation hadn't freaking paid them for 2022 um, and how they demanded transparency. They're like, where's the money? Canadian soccer business has made these deals, but we don't see any counting for like, how are you dividing up these funds? Where are they going? Why isn't the women's national team? We don't feel the benefit. Um, They had a lot of questions about who's building the youth pipeline. What pipeline? We have players who want to retire, but feel like they can't. Because they have to stay and like keep dragging this program along to some form of success so that they can like prove. So it's like proof of concept. So Canada Soccer will still keep funding us, that kind of attitude. And now we're in the middle of a whole like government inquiry where they're calling up people like Victor Montagliani to answer questions about like, hey, how have you guys been running Canada Soccer? Like, what is going on here that have been like, some good questions, some of them were it's a little like, oh, you don't understand things about soccer. Like asking questions about like MLS and some and stuff where you're like, oh, you're really walking in with a blank slate of soccer knowledge here. But I guess that's what the hearings are for. And so now we're at a point where I think the latest is that there was some kind of interim agreement put in place to at least pay the players. And there was some noise about them being like, okay, I think we're going to get what we need for the World Cup in terms of staff. Janine Becky said during some of these initial calls, like we saw what the Canadian men's team got in Qatar. So we expect the same for us in a yeah. World Cup. Like that's a World Cup. This is a World Cup. So we want the same when it comes to trainers and transpo and like having a chef on the ground to like nutritionists to give Bev Priestman all the assistance that she needs um we're kind of there i think we're still dealing with you know digging through statements from various officials being called up in front of like this parliamentary inquest and so there is a sense of like all right we're kind of headed towards 
like a um, a better situation. But I don't think we're at the same level of like the perception of the France being like, maybe we're past the worst of it. It feels like we're kind of still in it with Canada. And I think one of the things that differentiates them is that the Canadians have such close ties to a lot of U.S. national team players, by no means attributing any success to, of this to the U.S., just that that's a resource that they maybe have access to where they can look and pull out like, okay, this is what these guys did. And they've also been talking on their own for a while amongst themselves, but then now they can also, you know, if they need to, Christine Sinclair can just shout across the locker room, hey, Becky, like, right. what did you guys do in this situation? And they can yeah. do that all across every NWSL team pretty much. So I think there's, that's a factor that's differentiating them. But at the same time, yes, there's this same thing of like, well, at least the very, at the very least their coach supports them. And they seem to like, so they've got that going for them. That's fair. Yeah. Bev, Bev <laughs> yeah. does seem to be an okay coach. <laughs> yeah. She, she is like publicly given as much support as she can to the players given right. she is an employee of Canada soccer. Yeah. She's um, in that same boat as Vlako Andonovsky was where he was like, I can't say much, but I will be pleasant and smile. Right. Like wish the players the best. <laughs> Next question. I want to, I want to swing us back a little bit in terms of France and thinking about every, because I mean, you're talking about, you know, government hearings in Canada, right? Like it took this kind of outside force a little bit. I mean, I think it also with, with Noel Legret, like, it took him insulting Zidane, I think, to really get eyeballs on. Like, it's weird stuff that that actually makes the question get asked. But in terms of, you know, government interference, first of all, side note, a thing that FIFA hates <laughs> when that happens. Um, but there is kind of this sense of there is a little more scrutiny around some of these things and that money is still playing such a huge role, not just in terms of the disparities between the men's and women's national team, but I think also in terms of this sense of money excuses a lot of behaviors. And Charlotte, I'm hoping that maybe you can dig into that a little bit in France because, you know, in watching some local French coverage of what was going down with the Federation, not just with the women's national team, but with their president, there is always kind of this disclaimer of like, well, look at all this money that's flown in over the past decade plus so it was the french sports minister who actually commissioned the uh, report looking into legret over the claims of sexual harassment and and bullying and, and that report ruled that legret failed to hold the necessary legitimacy to to manage and represent french football so yeah it, it is interesting that even the sports ministry had to get involved with this and it highlighted the inappropriate behavior of Legret towards women. Of course, like Legret denies any wrongdoing still. And uh, when Didn't he say that he doesn't know how to send a, a text message. I don't, that may have been said. I, yeah, I, I do. I think I remember reading that where, because one of the, the things that was involved in that um, was that he had sent SMS messages to a reporter. And I think his response to that was, I don't know how to send an SMS message, which, yep. So. And it's interesting like, that it's a play of power, right? Mm -hmm. We've seen it in the abuse stories that you've covered, Meg. 
in that Legrette is in, was in a very powerful position and so could get people into different roles and help them with different information or different contract negotiations. And it is that power play of, well, this is a very powerful man who may be able to help me. Um, so, yeah, it's the, the sports ministry, their involvement was significant because then it's like, whoa, you can't, you can't wriggle out of this one. And the French Federation, especially in Renard's hire, have really taken very careful consideration to dot the I's and cross the T's with this next appointment. And I know we spoke about Diacra earlier and we asked her for comments as well as uh, the French Federation, who, who declined to comment on all of this. But Wendy Renard said in, in the interview as well, it doesn't, you know, the players are part of the Federation. They're representing their team. They didn't want to see all of this. So for the French team, there does seem to be a positive step in that they have a working group, uh, which is composed of Jean-Michel Olas, the president of Lyon, um, Marc Keller, the president of Strasbourg, and two former players, uh, Laura Georges and um, Aline Riera. So the way in which the French Federation is working towards the women's team does seem to want to cons take the women's team's best interest at heart. But then we come back to that statement as well of the French Federation has noted uh, how the players have expressed this. And basically, we're not going to be allowing this again because they're worried that they've set a precedent now. The players have spoken up, they wanted the coach out, and they got what they wanted. But it's also up for the French players now to deliver. Right. If, if, yeah, if, if you're going to stage a coup, you gotta you got to make it stick. If you're saying the coach is the problem, the management's the problem, this is it, and they say, okay, we get you a new coach and we've ironed out these details and we and you have the resources available to you, it's your time to deliver. That's fair. That is fair. All right, I want to I wanna end on kind of, again, this bigger picture view of you know, having been in France for the 2019 World Cup, right, and having talked to, to players about France's commitment to women's football following the 2019 World Cup, right? Like, you know, I, I think every every single person understands that there's always kind of this bump after a major tournament. And there, I think there is a legitimate sense of disappointment that it did not translate after 2019. But you know, do you think that there is kind of a a fundamental respect for the women's game? I mean, you're just talking about the the group of four that is currently overseeing the federation. Obviously, there are people in that mix that have either played or, you know, have shown maybe not always like the best possible dedication to women's football, but like have put money into the game. And, you know, is this maybe a... a a sign of a shift in France. I think it's, you know, we are starting to see maybe a bigger shift internationally in terms of seeing the power of players and, and collective action. And France is only one of many teams that has been on this journey. But, you know, fundamentally, I think every question around women's football is like, is there a fundamental respect for the game? And France, I think, arguably has failed <laughs> test over the years. But 
is this maybe a, a turning point for them? I think it is a turning point for them, but I still think France are lagging behind. Just if, even if you look at the fan bases of Lyon and PSG, like the main reason that the PSG team has a big following is because there was uh, the ultras from the men's team weren't allowed to support them anymore. So they go, oh, okay, we'll go and support the women's team and bring in that big crowd. But Lyon, again, like they're the best team in Europe for the last 10 years. And they struggle to really get big numbers at the Group Armour Stadium. Like Leon play in their training ground facilities is a fifteen hundred capacity, and then they go to the men's stadium and and are expected to fill that out. But you even saw again the Champions League between Barcelona and Leon. It was Barcelona fans who swamped uh, the Leon spectators. But I think it's also part of French culture. France, apart from Paris, which is you know a huge talent pool, there's no. Compared to kind of your traditional English or Spanish, there's no real, real die-hard football fans. It's not something that you're brought up in, in watching it all the time. And we've seen with the Lionesses in England, it was only really in the semifinals of the Euros where you think, oh, England might be able to win something. And every kind of one kind of jumps on the bandwagon and tunes in. And then we've seen the ripple effect of that. And like the US, Meg and I were speaking, it's crazy how your teams are not dependent on men's teams at all. They're completely separate entities. Whereas we're still leaning on Arsenal, Manchester United, Manchester City. So yes, France has made a step, but looking at the bigger picture, it's still lagging behind in terms of the respect for women's football and women's sport generally, it's not treated nowhere near in the same level. Maybe that's a whole other episode about, <laughs> you know, where like can women's football in England or France ever uncouple itself from a reliance on the men's game? Should it uncouple itself given the histories that those programs have in those countries, meaning you can't duplicate what works in the U.S. in those countries necessarily in certain areas just because we don't have that history to lean back on. And therefore, people were free to be like, all right, we can do what we want and then, you know, build our Angel Cities and our San Diegos and sorry to all the other teams. They're all doing great Kansas Cities. <laughs> I'm not leaving you out on purpose, I promise. Just that's on my mind. Yeah, but it is interesting because some you go back, it's not that long ago, we were having stories where people were trying to shame like Manchester United or, or Liverpool still ongoing into like, can you do better by your women's team? Can you play in like a, a bigger stadium? Can you like not be embarrassing about this for a second? So, yeah, but I think that might be a whole other segment that we're going to have to get into later. That's one interesting point that, though, that Hervé Renard, who's set to be the new French women's coach, has gone from Saudi Arabia men's team to a w women's team. And his salary, he's had a 90% pay cut. So he's taken a huge salary cut to go and manage a women's team. And I... Correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've ever had that kind of shift from a men's team to a women's team nationally. And of course, like Saudi Arabia is not going to get as much exposure as it did 
at the World Cup. So, okay, you think, well, France women's team at the World Cup and, and Olympic Games and the Euros after that. But still, it's a, it's a big move to say, yeah, I respect women's football and I take this as a serious project. I, I mean, it's, yeah, in, in the context of Saudi Arabia maybe pouring a lot more money <laughs> into the game. So a 90% pay cut from like a salary that maybe was more exorbitant than the normal coach salary just because of the, the, the money. But I, I take your main point, which I agree with being like, he's like maybe setting up a big signal. Like, yes, this is a prestigious job that's worth the time and investment it's more prestigious than what I was doing, or, you know, maybe he's a patriot, whatever. But like, yeah, I think that is an important signal that hopefully is indicating people are being like, no, it's not a waste of my time. Why, why would I decline coaching my country's national team, whether it's men or women? So oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Real quick, before we sign off, obviously we have talked about it a bit off and on through this, but where are we thinking France lands at this World Cup? Because to me, I mean, I think, you know, it, at the point that we're recording this, it, it is a little hard to tell, but just because we have not seen them <laughs> under a new head coach yet. But I think that France is a team that you overlook at your own peril. So there is a sense that, I mean, Charlotte, to your point, they have immense, immense talent. Um, so Steph, let's start with you. What are you, what are you at least hoping for? for mm-hmm. France? So we, let's look at their group, group F, right? France, Jamaica, Brazil, Panama. If they don't come out top of that group, I, at the very least in second, but I do think in realistically coming out the top of that group, it's, there's going to be a little bit of like, Ooh, are they wobbling? So I, like in Charlotte, like you said, okay, we gave you the resources, we gave you the coach, we listened, even though it was only three and a half months before the World Cup. So I think there is some wiggle room there for them to be like, it was not enough time. Um, my little terrible, <laughs> like imitation French accent that all French people love to hear Americans do. But I, I think it's fair to have expectations of them. And then you see that the way that they've produced over the past six years, in spite of everything that's going on, the tremendous talent that this team has had generationally. It's not like they're struggling for talent now either. They brought in like some, like the newer players that are coming in. It's like, Oh yeah, that's exciting. So I would say it's like, if I were a French fan, the obvious answer being like, Oh yeah, they should go to the final. But I think it's fair to expect or to, to want to expect like at least a semis appearance here. Charlotte. Semis is quite big. Yeah. <laughs> oh, am I over? I'm trying to compensate I, because I was, I was I was mean to like the French team as well as like Lyon and PSG in a previous conversation. And then like six French people came up to me and like, oh, you don't have expectations of the French. And I was like, seen <laughs> 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 American stupid. Sorry. Bye. Well, so. looking at their group, they'd face group H, right? That sounds right. Yep. So you've got Germany, Morocco, Colombia, and South Korea. So I'd expect Germany to top the group and South Korea to come second. And they're, you know, they're decent, like, obviously Germany. But South Korea are tricky. They're, they're a very kind of complex opponent. So 
yeah, I, I think you'd expect them to top the group. And then if they play the runner-up of Group H, that could be quite favorable against South Korea. They don't have an impossible path. Um, but Steph, you were saying earlier they have a couple of international breaks. It's literally like the squad should be announced sometime this week. And then they've got fixtures in April and then a couple before they fly. And that's it. Yeah. Like the time with the players is so short. So the communication off the field and outside of the international break is going to have to be really efficient and smooth as well. But I'm actually really excited for France. Like I like France Brazil for that group stage. Like I I'm ready for that game. Well, I'm ready I think for that game. They're punching each other in that game, going, I'm not playing Germany next. You're playing Germany next. <laughs> a little bit, like you said, Charlotte. So yeah, that is a, a very important consideration. Encountering Germany right after group. Ooh. I think quarters is a fair a fair spot for the like they should be expected to at least at least reach quarterfinals. Yeah. Then again, like if you're if you're hitting Germany, like that feels like a fair, <laughs> like I don't know if if we need to have expectations for France against Germany at this point. Right so. at that point, I'd be like, you know what, we did our best. We got out of group. We hit Germany. Fair play to us. <laughs> All right. Well, obviously there is a lot more to cover, especially you know as we wait for this France roster, as we wait to see their remaining path to the World Cup. Obviously, you know, there are still a lot of storylines, but for right now, Steph, Charlotte, thank you for the time, for filling everyone in on what has been happening with France, and everyone absolutely follow Charlotte for (laughs) all of her coverage around France. There's going to be links in the show notes to all of her coverage so far. There's a really, really great feature that she did kind of about how we got to this moment with France and in breaking it down. So if you need further reading, there will be plenty of it. But in the meantime, thanks to you both. This has been Full Time with Meg Linehan, Journey to the Cup edition, a special episode brought to you by Google Chrome. Google Chrome lets you securely save your payment info so you can check out quickly and conveniently. There's no place like Chrome. <laughs>